Am I starting it? <laughs> For the swan song. Yeah. <laughs> this is Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier. He's Mike Carmen. I'm here. From the Journal and Courier. And we are Boilers Extra. Coming to you the last time, this tandem anyway, uh, as I'm headed out the door and leaving Mike here holding the bag covering Purdue Sports for the Journal and Courier. Several bags. <laughs> and so, none of them have any money in them. <laughs> Unless, unless I was trying to recruit a high school player to go go in the Nike circuit. Well, I'm not taking any of that money with me, so um, I'm not, I can't answer for that. But um, wrapping things up on, on my tenure here uh, with some Purdue football talk as we are, I guess, what, a little under two weeks away, a little over two weeks away from the, the kickoff of the, the 2019 well, season. Two Purdue. weeks from today, I'll be in uh... I'll be in Reno. That's right. It is Thursday. Yeah. Um, What's well, a Friday? But I'll be. You'll traveling, be there. Traveling you'll be there. on a. You'll be in route. Right. Um, and um, a lot to talk about, just as far as how this team is is sort of progressing to this point. I thought we should maybe pretty quickly touch on uh, Purdue had a scrimmage last weekend. You're not allowed to see the scrimmage, uh, but it's safe to say that Jeff Brom, who does seem to be a pretty straight shooter, and I don't think is someone who's out manipulating his team too much in the press. Um, pretty pessimistic with the way he talked about that game from an offensive standpoint. Well, Defense, it seemed like he was content. Offense, uh, I mean, some of the things he said off uh, from the from an offensive standpoint, there were two that jumped out at me. Um, I'll let you talk in, in general. But two that jumped out at me, asked about the offensive line in particular. I do not love our lineup right now. <laughs> and we're not playing well enough to win right now. Now, they don't question. have to win right that now. That was my question, by the way. <laughs> they don't have to win right now. But, again, two weeks away, they do have to win. Right. And that's a pretty significant area of a team to still have this much question about. Well, first of all, it's, n it's not a surprise because the offensive line was going to be a question. It's been a question since the end of the bowl game. So that's not a surprise. The other thing I think people need to understand is that Jeff – Jeff Brom is an offensive coach, so he's going to want the offense. That's fair. To, yeah, to, that's fair. To play at a higher level, uh, just because he's he's calling those plays and he spends more time with the offense. Uh, but saying that, and you know, sometimes as as we analyze comments or analyze practice, we we tend to. Um, we tend to focus on the on the team that maybe didn't do well or the side that didn't do well and forgetting that maybe you know Purdue's defensive front has made a lot of progress even without Lorenzo Neal that they are causing I mean they are in fact causing some problems for the offensive line which can be viewed as a positive as you as you get into this season and th this is the way football practice works because one side of the ball does well, well, the other side didn't do well. Right. What you want is balance. You want equal plays, big plays from both sides. You want George Karloftis making plays. Like the perfect balance was been a week ago today, and we didn't know they were going to scrimmage like they were going to scrimmage. I mean, it was basically, okay, 11 on 11, the ones. They didn't do live tackling, but everything up to taking somebody to the ground. Well, the offense moved the ball down in 12 plays, scored a touchdown, looked really good. Sinalar looked as as well as he as he has all camp. But George Kaloftis also had three sacks in that drive. <laughs> so there was there was good plays from the offense. There were some good plays from the defense. So you had balance there. You got to see kind of the best of both sides in that one drive. You know, ideally that's how football practice would work, where both both sides are taking a bite of the apple and you're gaining confidence through these things. But when one side dominates, I think that's when you, that's when you have some, some issues. And I, I don't know if dominates, it's the right word to use out of the scrimmage because it, you know, I didn't see it. Uh, but Jeff was not optimistic about what he saw from his offense that day, not just the line, but the quarter, the play of the quarterback, the reaction of the quarterback, their, their ability to, to recognize trouble and get out of it type of thing. Wasn't happy with the running backs and their pass protection. Uh, so it just wasn't the offensive line. But most things, most problems that go on on offense are usually a result of not 
they don't have good protection. There's no there's no holes to run through. I mean, it kind of dictates from the offensive line. It's yeah. It's either knowing assignments, either from the offensive line or from the guys in the backfield. That's something he talked about, and it's something that as we have kind of broken down that running back situation, we talk maybe in terms of you know production and things like that. But I think pass protection is going to be an incredibly important part of that role this year and, and may help determine who gets more reps there than than the others as the season goes along. But also just whether these guys can physically do it. And that's still and, – and, you you know, you talked to uh, – I think it was Matt McCann for the story you wrote about the offensive line. Um, they know what people think of them. They know that the expectations are low. And, yeah, they've heard it before. Um, and they do seem to – I don't know if you'd say rise to the occasion, but they – they they have in the past these past two years they've done enough they've done enough and that's uh, I think that would be the expectation of this group just get it done to a point that you've done it the last that group the, the last two years have done it then I think everything will will fall into place from a from a standpoint of being able to run your offense and you can't you know it's like you know in basketball you get the point guard that can never get you into the offense because he's being hounded or he's not strong enough and he just doesn't handle that position very well, where if you can get into your offense, then you're going to be a productive group. Right. I mean, Matt Painter's (laughs) built a program on that. You (laughs) don't need a guy back there getting 12 assists a game or doing dazzling things, you know, the mellow tremble, whatever kind of point guard. Um, You just, you know, P.J. Thompson wins you a whole lot of games because he – runs the offense and keeps it going. And I think there's there's something to be said for steadiness. Right. And especially from this offensive line, I think that is a – the other thing we need to remember, we talk about camp, everything is so focused on that opening night. Well, this offensive line doesn't have to be the, – <laughs> the, the level of good that this offensive line has to be two weeks from tomorrow night to beat Nevada is a different level that, than what this offensive line needs to be for those last three – four games of the regular season well, to beat the would, kind of teams that they're going to face. They're going to have to be better in week two than they are in week one. Yes, and they're, it's going to have to be a continued right. improvement like that. And that's where I think the depth comes into play too because the chances of these guys staying, all five of these guys staying completely healthy all season is not good, and it's nothing on those guys. It it's what, it's, happened. it's <laughs> what happens to human beings who play Power 5 conference football. I mean, Grant Hermans hasn't finished the last two years. Even even with stating that, you right. just give me five. You tell me five guys, and I'm telling you, one of those guys is getting hurt on yeah. any team anywhere. Like it's going to happen at some but point. The offensive line has to be functional to a point where Purdue can run its offense the way it wants to run it. And there are going to be periods where they're not. There's going to be periods that they are. But th- they need a consistent, steady uh, approach there where you can get the ball downfield to because you have playmakers all around this offense, uh, even in the in the running back room with with Fuller and Horvath to a certain extent. You got some playmakers in the backfield, and you got your, you got tight ends everywhere. So if if they can run their offense efficiently, with not getting disrupted or not having to throw quickly, then I'm pretty sure they're going to put up points. And I you know I do think they'll probably have enough to to win that first game against Nevada, in part because I think the defense is is going to be improved, and I think the defense is probably going to have to carry this team initially just to. Just to keep things in check, and you know they have their own issues they got to deal with in certain areas. But overall, I think you know that's a much it's a much better team. But I'm curious what the tone will be after Sat- Saturday scrimmage, which they have their last close scrimmage on Saturday from Brom. Was it better? Will he say it was better? He, will he say it was worse? I you know I yeah I don't know. You know, and that's he is usually a straight shooter and doesn't. He's not trying to fool anybody or hide anything, but um, I'll be curious his, his tone and his temperament. Uh, and, and a lot of it will depend on what they're trying to get accomplished uh, in this scrimmage and what they're looking at, who they're look, you know, what what positions they're looking for, uh, because this will be the last really big activity practice-wise that they'll do. Then you're getting into oh, prep get, week. You're yeah. getting into you're getting into your your game week, and you're just at that point, and even to now they're just trying to make sure everybody uh, that needs to be ready for that game is is going to be ready. And it's interesting to me to if I were a coach to try to find this balance between I think they do use us use the media at times to get a message across. It's not like I mean we've been to plenty of practices these guys are not shy about telling these guys when they're not playing well. But when when you're a coach you know that when you say things like 
I don't love our lineup. Um, we're not playing well enough to win right now. I think Dale Williams gave the offensive line unit a D for the scrimmage, which is uh, no one anywhere would be satisfied with that. I don't care how little experience they have. And sometimes I forget that there are only two guys on this in the, in that whole offensive line room that have started a game. So that does need to be factored into it. But I think it's an interesting finding that, that sort of um, that balance between how much are you firing a team up and how much do you need to encourage them and, and, and that a lot of that is happening I'm sure behind the scenes too it's not all this it's not all going to be public I mean th- those guys are getting pats on the back too when they deserve it too but um, it, it's still something that I think it, it makes them vulnerable early this year I, I think you're right I think they probably should still have enough to go win at Nevada but I don't know that this team, this offensive line is good enough for them to win some of the other really tough games that happen right after that. Well, when you get past Nevada, you're, you're, you're looking at 11 tough games. Yeah. Because you got Vanderbilt, TCU, and then a Big Ten season. And it doesn't matter who you're playing in the Big Ten season. They're all going to be tough games. One, one thing I want to say about the remarks, you know, 20 years ago, you know, coaches would use the media and then they would think their players would flock and go pick up a newspaper <laughs> right, right. or go watch TV to see what the, you know, the coach is really saying about them. Now all the coaches know that we're going to tweet out all the bad stuff they said about the scrimmage Yeah, and they could be using that just, you know, okay, yeah, you were bad today and I'm going to tell the media that they're going to tweet it. You're going to see it on Twitter and all your friends are going to know that you were not very good today. Right. So you right. better, you better pick up your play right. type of thing. So that is still you. I mean, we all see Nick Saban at those press conferences. He, he's he's talking to his kids most yeah. of the time. He's yeah, talking yeah. to his players. He's yeah. one coach, I think, out there that uses his, his time at the media to talk to his kids or get a message across to his kids. And here's another thing I will say. Or I should say his players are not kids anymore. Right, right. Uh, here's one thing I will also say in terms of, and I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm not trying to let them off the hook and not you know hold them accountable for what I think should be a Big Ten level of play this year. But I would also say it wouldn't surprise me if they went back. We're getting you're getting these coaches right after the game. It's really a first impression, and it, it's become a cliche now where coaches will say, "Well, I got to go back and look at the film." But I it wouldn't you know you can see somebody you can see a play breakdown during a game and see maybe even who was responsible for it. But when you go break down the film, you start to see, oh, his technique actually there was an improvement over where he was a week ago. And if you just keep doing that, then in a month, now he's an adequate Big Ten offensive lineman or defensive lineman or whatever. Because now, obviously, with, with Lorenzo Neal's situation still being up in the air, that's becoming kind of a concern. Is 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 you know That's something, again, that I think a lot of Purdue's optimism was based on him being at the anchoring the front of that defense and that seems very up in the air right now whether how how healthy he'll be to start the season i, I would be i'd be surprised right now if he's if he plays because uh, he hasn't practiced he says he he probably needs to practice in order to play that first game i, I don't think you throw him out there if he hasn't practiced so i, I would I, I think they've been preparing probably for a while without him knowing they would probably not have him for that that first game but that optimism about him was coming from Jeff and coming from Lorenzo himself in the offseason saying, yeah, well, we're going to work him into camp. He may not be ready the first day, but we're going to get him in there. He's not going to go every drill. He's going to take days off. He's going to you know, be managed. But he hasn't even started a practice yet. And we're, we're well in two weeks into this thing. And, you know, that's just – everybody recovers from injuries differently. And I, but I think the optimism of him being at camp was brought on by, by uh, people that were talking about him. We we were not in the, in the press. We're not sitting here speculating that he was going, we didn't, we didn't make it up. I mean, Jeff talked openly about, yes, we have to manage him in camp, but you know, we think you'll be there type of thing. And Lorenzo did too. So um, whether, he had some sort of setback, which he says he's not. He doesn't have any critical issues, or it's just not, you know, his knees not responding to. Well, we'll as, see, we, we, as we haven't quickly. seen Richie Worship play football in a long time. And, I mean, those things yeah. happen sometimes with right ligament injuries. But you know, every, right now, everyone around the program is confident that Lorenzo eventually will play. Even Lorenzo, that 
he's just not quite there yet. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think they're going to put him out there unless he does practice. And he's not going to practice until the training staff says, okay, you're good to go. Uh, so I, I would be surprised right now if he's in, if he's in that game, but yes, uh, he's a big piece of what they do defensively, but back to what I was talking about earlier with the offensive line, having some struggles and part of that might be just the improved play of the defensive line. That's fair. They're, yeah. they're doing, they're getting pressure. They're doing some things to cause the offensive line some problems without Lorenzo Neal. To me, that's a, that's a good sign for this defensive line. Now, is that just the addition of George? Is that uh, Derek Barnes now, a full-time Leo? He's in that, in that room all the time now. Is Anthony Watts? Has Anthony Watts taken a, a significant step forward? Then you've got guys like Jeff Marks and Giovanni Rivera, Lawrence Johnson, who hasn't played yet. Um, all guys that are in that rotation trying to earn playing time, trying to earn snaps. But the fact that they've caused some problems to the offensive line I, has, you know, makes you feel better about where where the defensive front is this year as they start the year as compared to how they finished last year. I do like that he switched to number eight too. And I think <laughs> I actually would go a step further. I think they should be able to petition the NCAA to allow, if you've got a big defensive lineman, big round defensive lineman, he wants to wear number eight, let him put a big white circle on the front with the eight and he could just be an eight ball that like there just you go. plows through the opposing <laughs> offensive line. Um, well, we can't see the future. We don't know for sure that, that uh, Lorenzo Neal is going to play or not two weeks from tomorrow. Um, but we're going to go ahead and try to see the future anyway and kind of look game by game through this schedule. You know, I, I think being only two weeks out now, we have a, a bit of a better feel about what this team is, although there are still a lot of things that are kind of up in the air. Um, but we've already both said we can, we'll start with the game at Nevada um, August 30th, convenient 9.30 p.m. Eastern tip-off for those of you who uh, – had to work that day or, or going to be filing a game on, on deadline. Um, actually, you can go to a high school game and come back and watch. That's actually a great point. So, yeah, <laughs> I, the, all, the, all the people who are complaining about having football games on Friday, college football games on Friday nights, here's the compromise. We'll just start them so late that you can get back to home in plenty of time. You can double tailgate. You can go to your favorite high school team, tailgate beforehand, watch them, get home, tailgate at home while uh, Purdue's playing Nevada until – the early hours. Well, think about it. even if this was at Purdue, people could go to games <laughs> at Harrison and Westside right. or anywhere in Tipping New County and probably make it there in time. Um, parking might be a little. You might be. You might miss the. You might miss kickoff. But yeah. Um, yeah, something to think about, I suppose. But um, so okay, season opener at Nevada, and this is one of those games that I, I, I don't consider it a a gimme for Purdue. Uh, any team that has this many question marks still going on the road. I know they're they're not a Power 5 team. I know they even lost a lot from last year. I'm marking it down as a win, but much like last season where this team shot itself in the foot three straight times to start the season, I feel like the, the margin for error is still pretty slim in a game like this. Oh, no, uh, yes. I mean, they have to I, – I don't think it'll be uh, – I, I would expect this to be a work of art. I would expect some struggles. I would probably expect some turnovers from Purdue. But I think in the end, their defense will will get things figured out and kind of keep their offense in the game and give them an opportunity. I, I don't know if this will come down to the last quarter or the last half, you know, the last part of the game. But I think Purdue will have enough. And, again, you put your trust in Jeff Brom and Nick Holt to, to you know, whatever Nevada does early they'll be able to adjust to it and then make a counter at some point during the game. Well, they'll, re they'll, they'll recognize, you know, they already know where the holes are. They've known since April because that's when they start looking at yeah. these things. But they'll be able to, to know a little bit more once they see what's out there. And I think this will be a game where, you know, again, Purdue will, uh, you know, I think Purdue kind of slowly builds and pulls away uh, to where you get to the last, you know, seven, eight, maybe six minutes where they're comfortably in a maybe in a in a double digit figure lead. You know, ten points, maybe 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 two touchdowns, or that you're going to force you're going to have to force Nevada to probably do some things that they're not willing to do. But 
you know, on the flip side, that this might be a situation where we'll we'll know if Purdue can close out a game by running the ball, eating some clock uh, in the fourth quarter. So this might be their this will probably be their first test to see if they can do that. So eight days after that, Purdue goes comes back home. Well, they'll come home sooner than that, but uh, they'll play a game at home. The home opener, uh, September 7th, conventional noon kickoff against Vanderbilt. And uh, so this one I put down as, I called it a win minus. Like if I was setting a line, this would be my half win for this team. And I, I'm calling it a win. I think they're, I think they're, there's a better collection of talent here when you factor in home field advantage. Purdue should win this game. It does seem to me right now, though, with the team I'm looking at, um, they may, you know, if they can get Lorenzo Neal back for that game, obviously that would be pretty critical. I think it's also just a game where your defense is going to probably have to put up some points. I don't know that that necessarily means a pick six or a fumble recovery. I think sometimes that just means you um, you force a, a turnover and then your team goes three and out, but you still get a field goal out of it. Or those little things, those sometimes kind of hidden points that a defense can get you, I think are going to be the difference between whether or not they win a game against a team that is as decent as Vanderbilt with as much questions as they have early on. Yeah, this could be the game where they need a special teams play. Right. This is something they spent a lot of time on in the offseason, trying to um, make sure that they utilize Rondell Moore in the right way, and that way special teams, whether it be a punt return or a kickoff return, can give them a, a spark or a score. And you know this this might be the game where that, where that happens. Vanderbilt's going to have some athletic guys on their teams, uh, on, their, on, on both sides of the ball. So Purdue's going to have to deal with that. Uh, and it is – it's still an SEC team, um, regardless of how their program is viewed. So, they, you know, they they recruit – you know, they, they recruit that Nashville area, and Purdue's got some kids out of that Nashville area. So uh, this is not, you know, probably your – you know, the Vanderbilt program you think of when you think of Vanderbilt football. They've struggled over the years. There's no question about it, but – Anybody in that position would struggle when you got to play Alabama and Georgia and all those teams, right. all the you know every year. Uh, but I, I think this is this is a game I think Purdue Purdue kind of ekes out and wins, whether it be a late score, uh, late turnover, um, and again I think the defense uh, will probably have to keep them in the game uh, or keep things close. Uh, I think the offense will probably make a stride or two from the first game once they figure out okay this is. This is who we play. This, we know we've seen some game action now on the offensive line. We've seen what some of these guys can do, and I think adjustments will be made, maybe to to to, to allow things to go a little bit smoother uh, in that second game. But um, I, I, I do think I think Purdue kind of ekes this one out and uh, you know starts two and zero. You mentioned knowing how to utilize Rondell Moore and making an impact there. As I'm looking at this team, the first couple games of the year, one – well, I actually probably won't be looking at this team the first couple games of the year. I hope not. You have somebody else to watch. <laughs> I, do have, I do have some other things going on at that time um, on my Saturdays. But if, if I were a fan, I would be watching this, wanting to see what Purdue does when teams – inevitably take Rondell Moore out or try to take Rondell Moore out. Now, we saw last year that's easier said than done. And it's actually one of the reasons why um, I, I'm tampering my my pessimism on this offensive line because I saw how many times last year. The most remarkable thing about Rondell Moore last year to me were the times where he took a play that should have been a six-yard loss and got back to the line of scrimmage. Those those are huge in, in close games. They can be the difference between whether or not you – have a, a scoring drive or whether or not you're punting and giving up points. And so I, the thing that I want to see is teams are still going to, they're going to have more film. They're going to have done more steady to how they can maybe minimize him a little bit. Is Purdue giving itself a chance by utilizing the other weapons? Are those guys stepping up? The other thing we're not hearing right now outside of Bryson Hopkins is, is out of that scrimmage was somebody else on this offense from a playmaking standpoint that stepped up. And like Bryson Hopkins, we already know, should be one of the best players in the Big Ten, uh, the best tight ends in the Big Ten. So who else is stepping up? And are they going to run the ball consistently enough to, to give themselves a chance to even be able to use Rondo more? I think as much as – I mean, he he's going to get his to some extent. Uh, I think the key to Purdue's season and maybe the key to winning some of these early games is how quickly and how effectively are they using some of those other weapons. Well, and I think Milton Wright is a guy that could uh, could emerge in that very first game because when Nevada starts to take away Rondell Moore and double-team him, 
then you've got Milton Wright stretching the field or making And you've got some, a big arm quarterback, hopefully yeah. he was getting time to find him. Right. And then you you've got you've got more weapons on the perimeter. You know, the unknown right now is if uh you know, David Bell, who is a guy that should play, but is, is he been involved enough in team drills uh during this week and will he be involved in the scrimmage on Saturday that you feel comfortable playing him in that first game, playing him a lot. Uh, and you've got some other receivers, some veteran guys with Jared Sparks and Jackson Anthrop and Ahmad Anderson uh, that are going to be involved in the rotation. It's just not going to be Milton Wright, David Bell, Rondell Moore all the time. You're going to have other guys in there. But, that you know, I, I guess that, you know, to me, one of the interesting things is you have Rondell Moore in the field, but then you're going to have Jared Sparks and maybe Ahmad Anderson or um, – another perimeter receiver, do they at that point take the time du- double-team Rondell leaving right. leaving those other guys open? But then when you put Milton Wright or David Bell out there with Rondell Moore and potentially T.J. Sheffield, who are they going to double at that point? Right. And, I, you know, this is going to be a, a huge work in progress as far as Jeff Brom and the offense really feeling out exactly what they have with these guys. I mean, we've seen it in practice. I'm I'm, I'm – Milton Wright's going to be has a chance to be a star, uh, not at maybe not at Rondell's level, but he has a chance to be a star in this offense. Um, but I think there's going to be a feeling out period for for all those coaches and how they call plays and what they what they're seeing from the defense e- each week. I think it'd also be really interesting considering how unsettled this backfield is. I think we've even already talked about this. Send Rondell Moore out, line him up in the backfield once every game or whatever and just see what is how does the defense react to that what are you doing now what linebacker now is assigned to him and how does that leave Bryson Hopkins open and how is that leaving somebody else open and to give somebody else a chance to do something in the slot too I think there's just a lot of things the one thing I will say about Purdue you know I was definitely talking with some pessimism early on, and you may see some more as we go farther down this schedule. I have some pessimism about the personnel at some key positions. I don't think that's unfair. I do, though, have a lot of optimism by what this coaching staff has done. You know, again, you take away those first couple games last year where, again, that kind of was more of a personnel thing. Guys on the field doing some dumb things that led to a couple of those losses. Um, This coaching staff has, I think, gotten the most out of Certainly, there have been some really good players, and certainly there have been some adequate players, and, and they've gotten the most out of you know getting to two bowl games, winning thirteen games in two years. So, I, I do think at the end of the day, I, I this the one thing I, I think that this coaching staff maybe doesn't get enough credit for nationally is just the, the creativity that's here. I know they they see how fiery Jeff Brom is, they see how fiery Nick Holt is, and it, there's a lot more to it than that. This 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 coaching staff is more cerebral, especially some of these coordinator positions, than maybe they get credit for. Right. Uh, up next is TCU, home game, night game. I think it's on uh, BTN. It'll be a you know produce two and zero if they have an opportunity to be undefeated with that team coming in I think it'll be a pretty wild atmosphere uh in Rossade Stadium and um right off the bat I this I think this will be a loss for Purdue uh, I just think they're um now TCU didn't have the greatest year last year which means that Gary Patterson probably will have them more ready and more ready right. uh prepared prepared to go this year but historically TCU has been really strong on the defensive front they've they've had good offensive lines um you know, they went through a lot of quarterbacks last year. Not sure they've settled on one right now. Um, but, you know, I just think this game comes down probably to the line of scrimmage. And you could probably say that about all of them. But this game in particular probably comes down to what happens up front. And I think, uh, you know, I think TCU eventually wins wins that battle. No, I marked it the same way. And uh, I think you're right. I think this comes down to the trenches. I don't know yet that Purdue can beat a team as good as TCU up front on both sides of the ball it's probably closer on defense being able to do that right now but i I, we we this is a prove it game for the trenches for purdue a little bit and if they prove it i'll eat crow and and say hey look at that and that that does that's one of those games that kind of helps and you'll do that in columbus ohio (laughs) well i will do it from columbus ohio um where they they make the best crow um they're just renowned for their crow it's like tenderloins in indiana um but, but and it will be it's one of those games that's kind of an inflection point for a season maybe where that kind of is a is a divider like how good are you going to be and uh, you know if you're two and zero oh, you can absorb a loss there and be good with it if you're one and one or 
heaven forbid, zero and two. Right. You're putting yourself really in a in a in a bad situation. You go, well, they recovered from zero and three last year, right? But you don't have the same schedule you had last year. You don't have the same makeup on your team. Mm-hmm. So one and one makes it a different kind of approach for Purdue, I think, because you'd love you'd love to get out of the non conference if you're Purdue sitting at, at least two and one. And if you can do that, I think it set yourself up to uh, to to go deeper into the Big Ten West conversation uh, for the for the season. But you know, if you're one and two, you almost become in desperation mode as you as you start the Big Ten season in their next game. I will say for a schedule that doesn't include Ohio State, Michigan State, or Michigan. It's kind of a sneaky, tough schedule in some ways. I know you get to miss those three big people. You still got to go on the road at Penn State, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin. We're going to get to all those pretty soon. Um, that's a tough stretch. Well, if you look, all their Big Ten road games right now, Penn State. Are against the – Iowa. Yep. Northwestern uh, and Northwestern and Wisconsin. Every one of those teams is ranked in right. the coaches' poll. Right. At least in the coaches' poll. Right. So all your Big Ten road games are the probably the toughest games that you have on your schedule and when, once you get in the Big Ten season. And your quote-unquote easy non-conference game is on the road on a weird night of the week, um, on a, a long flight out into the desert. Or I've never been to Reno, but I assume it's in the middle of the desert. And it, I don't know. It just it's it's there's a lot of of I know you don't get those behemoths, but I, at this stage, I mean. Is are Ohio State and Michigan at home a tougher game than playing Iowa even or Wisconsin on the road? I don't know. It, it well, probably, I, but it's it's closer. It would be more. Yeah, I think you more equate it or to the play, Penn State playing yeah. at Penn State. Yeah, yeah. Even though Penn State has some issues, it's trying to work out. You're still going on the road there, and I think Penn State, based on who they play early, probably will be undefeated when Purdue comes to town. Uh, Based on their non-conference schedule, even though they've they've got some, you know, they've got a quarterback to replace, but you know, James Franklin's done a nice job recruiting. You know, they're going to have athletes, they're going to have playmakers, and for Purdue to go in and win that game, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that, I would equate it to that. That's the that's the Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State game, kind of all combined into one. I think yep. for Purdue. So then after that game on the 14th, Purdue has a bye and then goes into the Big Ten season. It starts off at home against Minnesota. And if I were a guy selling touts, this might be my stone-cold <laughs> lock of the century of the year of the week. Um, you're going to have a team that maybe is coming off a loss in that TCU game, so there will be some motivation. Um, or they're coming off of a 3-0 and start and some – excitement off of that then you've got the fact that they're going to be they're going to come back home and you've got two weeks of them being reminded of the indignation of last year's game at minnesota which is um you could argue considering the circumstances the low point of jeff brahm's two seasons here you maybe you would argue the eastern michigan game but considering what was at stake for purdue at that time of the year to go up and lay an egg like that at minnesota and look like they were just um out out toughed out whatever in the snow I, I thought was a really bad look and one that they were probably trying to redeem so i'm putting this down as a win i i think that um this is one of those games where i think that some of those circumstances those outside factors those outside motivations actually can make an impact yeah and um it, now we're getting to the point of the season where it's hard to predict games because we don't know the health of teams we don't know right. who's really playing well uh, if there have been changes on the offensive line or other places. So these purely become guesses, not that the other three games are not guesses, yes. but this, this purely becomes guess times. And the things that you say would probably will be, will be spoken and written about uh, for two weeks leading up to the Minnesota game. I just think Jeff Brom's a better coach. I just think Jeff Brom, um, and it probably still stings Jeff Brom that he lost that many to Minnesota and to, and to PJ Fleck. Yep. Um, and I, I do think Purdue will come out and will, will, will win that game. Um, it may be similar to what happened a couple years ago where they needed a, a, you know, a Juwan Bentley interception to seal it. Uh, I think it'll probably be a close game, but Minnesota, um, they discovered something at the end of last year when they made, starting with that Purdue game, when they made the defensive coordinator change, as far as how they play defense, the style they play defense with, 
you know, it's going to be a similar defense as far as physicality that to TCU. And it's now a matter of how well that offensive line can hold up against that type of uh, performance. I think, you know, I think Purdue, you know, assuming good health for Milton Wright, David Bell, and all those other guys, you know, I think they're going to be able to generate some points and some yards. Uh, but, you know, there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of unknowns, but, yeah, I, I give Purdue the, the, the edge there. TBD on game time for that, by the way, and uh, that's September 28th. Then October 5th, a week later, Purdue makes its first Big Ten road trip going at Penn State. And as we just said, all four of these Big Ten road trips are against what is right now considered some of the best teams in the country, the top 25 teams in the country. And I don't know yet that we've seen a Purdue team under Brom go on the road against a team this good and come through. Um, you know, no, I mean, they, they, they won Michigan that game State. at Iowa a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, and but a team of this caliber, it hasn't happened yet. And again, this is kind of one of those prove it situations. But until they've proven that they can go on the road, especially this group with some of the questions we've already talked about, um, I still think that Penn State has is a level above them from a talent standpoint. And this is this would be a loss on my schedule. Yeah, this is I think right now would be a loss. Um, you know, I, the things you look for is, are they still, can they, you know, the things I'm going to look for on the road this year, can they avoid a Minnesota situation again? You yeah. know, it's only happened, you know, really in reality, twice in 26 games since Jeff Brown's been here, have they been completely basically annihilate, annihilated in a game. Right. So that's a very small percentage. And one of those games was by a team that was superior. better. <laughs> they were better even yeah. when Purdue was at full strength and Purdue was yeah. not at full strength that right. day. Auburn was just better. But, yeah, you're right. That Minnesota game, that is going to kind of linger, I think, in terms of it's it's one of those games that, that helps determine where your program actually is. Did you, you know, and it, it's still a small sample size for Brom, so they've got to get some more games back in that other column of games where they went on the road and pushed a, a team, even a better team, into the fourth quarter rather than kind of falling apart the way they did. Yeah, and, I, you know, I – you just want them to play well. You don't want them to get blown out um, from from you know because you, you have one hundred and ten thousand people waving white things, uh, their their <laughs> their pom poms, their towels, their shirts uh, in that place. Uh, it'll be it'll be a great environment and a good test for Purdue. And I think you know coming out of that game by playing well, you know regardless if you win or lose, should should build them some confidence as they get back out on the road in those Big Ten West games later in the year. So by virtue of not playing Ohio State, Michigan State, or Michigan, that means Purdue's crossover games with the East, with the exception of that game at Penn State, are not as daunting. And they get Maryland at home in uh, on October 12th, another noon kickoff. And a game that, again, where Purdue is right now as a program, it, maybe that's something we should just talk about in a greater scheme because 13-13 and 13 after two seasons doesn't really blow the doors off of anything. But this is – public perception would have them ahead of Maryland right now just in terms of where they are as programs. And you're getting this team at home, and I think it's a game that you have to win in order to have the kind of season that Purdue wants to, to have. And I, I would put it down as a win. It's a game I would expect them to win, and it's one of those games that going into the year, I know they're not – maybe as far down as as the level of like in Illinois or whatever, who we'll get to in a minute, but it still becomes a a letdown and a real drag on your season if you can't find a way to win those games. I think Maryland and Illinois would be considered the two worst teams uh, in, well, I guess you throw Rutgers in there too, but I've seen some polls that have Maryland below Rutgers because Maryland had the the situation that they had last year. There's some extenuating circumstances. You you have a new coach uh, who's just trying to get his, get things going. They have some players, they have some talent there. It's not a game you can take lightly, but this this is a this is a game that Purdue has to win and needs to win and I think they they will win. October 19th, another noon kickoff, Purdue goes to Iowa and this is a team that Purdue's kind of had their number here recently and um, we're starting to get to a point of the season now I mean that that's that was halfway point actually the Maryland game so we both have them at, at four and two at that point and now you get into a stretch where you know f- four of the next five games decide the Big Ten West realistically and uh, I have this Iowa game down as a loss I kind of feel like 
to some extent, it's just a law of averages. You're, you don't just keep beating good teams in, in their place indefinitely necessarily. Um, but it's, I think it's what it, it's the game that you start getting into a stretch where every week kind of, it's sort of like we saw last year. You can just string a couple of these together and you do start to build sort of a momentum. And all of a sudden you find yourself, even when you start at 0-3, you can find yourself in the middle of the race to, to contend for that divisional championship. And if that's the, the step people think Purdue could take this year, that game, as much as any, will determine whether they can make it. Purdue will win this game if Iowa continues to squeeze the middle of the field on defense and allow the uh, allow their quarterbacks one-on-one with Purdue's receivers. That's what's happened the first two games in this series with Jeff Brom. Mm-hmm. Purdue hit two long passes at Iowa with Anthony Mahongu, mm-hmm. and they won the game. Purdue hit two or three last year. Mm-hmm. Terry Wright yep. had at least two TD receptions of a long, long yards going one-on-one with a, with a cornerback. So can it happen three years in a row? I don't. I don't see why not. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This this starts this starts a stretch. Whether you're going to be a, a Big Ten West contender or not, um, I, I would probably uh, agree to a point that Purdue will lose uh, this game. But I would not. This is one where, you, assuming that Purdue is still in good health and they haven't lost a key player. And the offensive line has figured itself out to to some extent, you know that check back with me that week, and I, you know that might be a game where I say, well, Purdue's going to win that game because you say you can't continue forever, but <laughs> Purdue's got more weapons than what it's had the last two years, and as for whatever reason, is is somewhat figured out that that Iowa defense. Actually, I'm going to contradict myself in two weeks anyway about the way I feel about another game. But um, the Iowa game, so I'm putting down as a loss plus. The way I took a a win minus for Vandy, I'm going to give you a loss plus for Iowa. Um, So you just have more optimism there that that's the kind of game they could win. And and it's just – it's a narrative changer potentially. I mean, if you win that game, it puts you – being Purdue in a in a potential driver's seat, at least temporarily. It's still early in the year, but at least then you're you're controlling your own destiny a little bit more as far as con- competing in the Big Ten West. And I don't know it, it, because of on, on the one hand, it's a tough stretch to have four and five weeks to kind of determine your season. On the other hand, it also, as we saw last year, it means that those first four or five weeks maybe aren't the be all end all you can get off. You can have some stumbles early on and still redeem yourself by how you play in a, in a stretch like that. Right. Um, October 26th TBD at home against Illinois and maybe the last time Lovey Smith and his beard visit <laughs> Ross aid stadium. If, if things don't turn around for the Illini this year and I'm not super optimistic that they will. And I'm, I'm putting this down as a win um, I assume you are too as, as a game that, you know, this is maybe a game where um, Purdue needs to flex a muscle a little bit, especially, but it's also a bit of a trap game. You could say you're coming off of Iowa and you've got bang, bang, bang coming up right after this one of the other three teams that are going to be at the top of the big 10 West question. You would assume. Yeah, that, that's a win for me and we can move on to the next week. <laughs> well, that next week is at home against Nebraska on uh, November 2nd. And this is the one where I said I'm going to contradict myself because I think this is I think this is a huge game beyond just where they are this season. I wrote last year coming out of the Nebraska game that Purdue had passed them at least temporarily on the 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 line of college football and the history of college football. They're not a better program in the history of college football than Nebraska is. But right now, and you they're have, above them. You don't have to be. Right. <laughs> and they don't have to be. Right now, they're above them. They've 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 won now what? 3 of the last 4 meetings. Um they've they won in Lincoln. Um you know, they're 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 finding ways to keep beating this team and if they can do it again this year and I put it down as a win, then it, it says a lot, really. It's 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 one of those things that really kind of helps establish where this program is right now. Uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, and uh, right, and when we're doing this exercise, we're assuming you know all the teams are intact w- where they are today. Right. And right. I, by that, uh, I would I would put that down for a loss uh, for Purdue. I think they're going to have trouble with uh, Martinez, the quarterback, um, 
and I, I, I'm not, I did not pick Nebraska to win the West, uh, but you know, I do think they they won't be four and eight this year. I think they're going to to, to take a, a significant step forward, not to the point where I, I think they're going to win the West, but this will be a game um, as you as you talked about Purdue trying to get back at Minnesota. This will be a game where Nebraska yes. is trying to get back at Purdue, which, 100%. which we never thought would happen in our wildest <laughs> dreams that Nebraska would think Purdue is a revenge game for for Nebraska. But I, I, I do at this stage of the year, you know, I, I do think Nebraska is probably going to have a little bit more, um, especially with the quarterback being able to keep him under control. I think is going to be a big challenge for for Purdue's defense. I would agree with that part. I would. I would also say though that I'm. I'm maybe not as um, bullish on Nebraska as other people are. I think like you said there are people who are picking them to win the West one year after finishing four and eight. And I know you kind of have to throw the record out. They did play a lot better at the end of last season. I just don't know if I feel like they've. Yeah, I don't come I, all the way around to where I mean, they can uh, contend at that level. I, I picked Iowa to win the West. Uh, you, know, you know, I think Nebraska's gonna have a better year. I think they'll get to a bowl game. But I, I don't think they're they're quite there yet. But in this West, you don't have to always be quite there. I mean, you you know, really the, the 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 feeling is if you can throw a blanket over six teams, and any one of them can win the West, which is true. Uh, but I just don't I just don't think Nebraska is right there yet. Similar to how I feel about Purdue, I don't feel Purdue is ready to win the West yet. Fair enough. Um, I do think, though, it's going to be interesting because I think it could be like last year where the West looks pretty muddled for a while, and I don't know if it's deserve might not have anything to do with it or who's ready to win the West. It may just be no, who comes who emerges it, from that morass. Sometimes it, it falls in your lap, and you got to take advantage of it. It's, a lot of it is scheduling and who you play on the road and when you play them. Um, and as we're going to get into here, Purdue has a very difficult finishing stretch here the way it should be. But I, you know, I think other West teams are going to have similar stretches because I think they've devised the schedule now where we see a lot of one-on-one, West-on-West matchups here in these last um, three weeks of the season, uh, minus the rivalry week that they've established. But these next two weeks on the schedule, with going to Northwestern and Wisconsin, uh, will probably determine. Uh, how how much Purdue stays in the in the Big Big Ten West conversation? Yeah, I'm not going to argue that the West is as hard as the East, but I will say that if you take Illinois out of it, I think you could probably make a plausible, believable argument why any of those other teams could win the West. Oh yeah, I mean, I there, you could make a case for Purdue winning the West. I just don't think they're ready to do that yet. But, uh, agreed. Uh, November 9th, TBD at Northwestern. And again, it's this this three game stretch: Nebraska at home, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin. There's your. It's determining a lot of what your season is, probably if you're Purdue. It's certainly determining whether or not you can win the West, and it's probably determining whether you have a shot at that kind of you know eight win, nine win. Well, let's say eight win plateau. Whether you're going to another significant bowl game that's happening in this three week stretch. Yeah, and they're going to go to Northwestern, a team I don't believe they've beaten in five. Five straight tries, which I think Northwestern—that's the longest winning streak they've they've had against Purdue and in, in the series history. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't think it'll change this year. I think Northwestern's still uh, probably a little bit better on on both lines, and I think that uh, Purdue's just going to struggle up there and uh, you know have some difficulties. And you know, again, if 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 they are. If they are today what they're going to be then, then you know maybe, you know maybe that changes a little bit. But um, I, for for whatever reason, for well, I mean the good reason is they're, they're better. Northwestern is just better right now, and I think that they uh, they they come out with a victory in that game. I also put that down as a loss for Purdue. I feel like Northwestern just doesn't get. They're not a sexy team nationally. They don't get the credit that they deserve nationally. But I feel like every year they're they're back in it. Maybe they don't win the West all that often, but they're always just, you know, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has that team ready to compete year in and year out to be one of the better. It's certainly a nuisance at worst against the other very best teams in the big 10. Mm-hmm. And um, again, 
all things being equal, assuming everything goes through from a health standpoint and everything else, uh, I, I I think Northwestern is just a better team. And then you factor in the, the road side of it, and uh, I'm giving the win to them. And then, so in your book, that means Purdue will be coming off of three losses in four games as it goes to Wisconsin on November 23rd. And another place where traditionally um, – a, a team that they don't always match up well with up front. And as we've talked about plenty, both sides of the ball, uh, the line is going to be huge going into the season. And I think that's going to be as true on August 30th here in two weeks as it will be on November 23rd when we go up to Madison. Yeah, that would be another loss for me, not because they're the intimidating Badgers that they've been. I think their program is on the on the decline, not a rapid decline, but I, I do think... A decline from great heights a decline of excellence right right uh but they still have enough pieces in place especially in the trenches to to cause purdue problems um you know again purdue if they're in good health and the offense is is clicking along at a at a, at a decent rate probably can go up there and put up some points i just don't know if their defense is going to be able to slow down uh the running game with jonathan taylor Obviously, they couldn't last year <laughs> in yeah. three overtimes, even though they, they were very close to wrapping up that game. Um, I, I just think this is going to be another loss on the road. Um, yeah, probably a close one, probably a tough one, one that uh, probably will eat at Jeff Brom again, like the, the triple overtime loss did. Mm-hmm. But I, right now, I just don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if this team can go up there and, and, and win that game. So at this point of the season, I have I would have Purdue bowl eligible actually after if they win that Nebraska games they would have been six and three at that point with with three games to go. You again have this season coming down to the old oaken bucket whether or not Purdue can beat IU in order to salvage bowl eligibility. This would be third time in three years under Jeff Brom. It's it would come down to week twelve. Um, I'm putting this down as a win. I do think this is one of those other programs that Purdue has separated from and they they keep proving it in week 12 but they're going to have to keep proving it in week 12 and and by the way that even if they're in contention for a big west championship at that point if they if they maybe overachieve a little bit early in the season it's a game they're going to have to win either way probably there's not going to be enough separation for them to lose a game like that and still have a really special season in their grasp yeah it's, it's a win for me that that last game and they'll be ball eligible and I, you know, to me this year, it's it's. I think people want to see that next step, and six and six is not that next step. You know, with the money you're paying Jeff Brom, with the, uh, but I think people want to see better than six and six, with the money that you're paying Jeff Brom, with the uh, resources that have been put in the program. Uh, but I think this is a very tough schedule for this team based on what they have coming back, the experience that they have, especially in the trenches, that getting to 6-6 six and six might be the best that they can do. Now, you get into the year, you see some different things, you know, maybe you go a little bit higher with this win total. But I think right now, that's kind of the way I see it right now, is, you know, them getting uh, probably six wins. But, you, you know, it just takes one of those games that if you can flip – you know whether that's the Nebraska game, whether that's the Iowa game, which you put down a a loss plus, <laughs> that you're you're not in that position come the last week of the regular season, trying to um, become bowl eligible again. I think the fans want to see more progress. I think, and to them, more progress. To me, to me, more progress this year is not going into that last game needing to win to be bowl eligible. Right. And to to me, that's. That's a that's a step that at some point this program has to take. You want it sooner than later, and if they get to that point, then yes, I think you deem it an extremely successful season. But if they're back at that point again, you have to look at how they arrived at it, and you can't you can't say on August fifteenth that they underachieved because we don't know how they arrived at their at their record. Yeah, that's fair, and I think you're right. I think if this team gets to the end of the season and they're six and six, and then they go 
to another bowl game, and especially if they lose that bowl game. And now you're looking at a three-year tenure where you're under 500 if you're Jeff Prom, and it's then it starts to fare to question where is this really a momentum that's happening here? Yes, you took this team higher than it was before, but you've basically taken it to a glorified Danny Hope era, which was not good enough for Purdue football, and they weren't paying him nearly as much as they're paying you. So I think there does need to be a a tangible step forward, and, and, and really you're judged on wins and losses more than you're judged on anything else. I will also say you look at the schedule and what you know. look at even like, okay, so 7-5, and 6-6. Six and six, The difference that takes them up is you're asking them, you've got to beat a team like TCU at home. You've got to beat one of these top 25 teams on the road. I mean, those those are the kind of games that will decide whether a team is adequate or whether the team is better than that, whether they're another step up. So it's not like we're, we're you know, we, we look at this season with a lot of pessimism as to whether they can beat some of the, the lesser teams on this schedule, the way it used to be where you would have teams come into Ross State Stadium not that long ago and put up you know, 42 points or whatever teams that weren't even all that good on, on them. Well, even, but even teams, I remember, you know, Minnesota coming in and like, and and routing Purdue in a year that they weren't even that good. And, you know, we, we, this program has taken a step beyond that, but I think this is, it is going to be interesting to watch this play out because I think the fan base is, they've, they've put a lot of um, faith and expressed a lot of enthusiasm for what's happened the last two years, but always kind of thinking because, it's all leading to something more, not Rondale more, something M O R E something more. And does that something more happen this year? I have a lot of questions about that. Right. Well, now. I, I think it eventually happens. I mean, he's recruiting too well and he's doing the program is doing a lot of good things and great things that it will happen. It's just, when does it happen? This may not be the year it happens because as of right now, you would be asking this team, once they got in the Big Ten season, to go beat a top 25 team on the road. They would have to do that based on going 2-1 in the non-conference. They would have to go do that on the road. Right. And, again, is this team ready to do that? But you could have asked that question last year. Is this team ready to beat an Ohio State team at home by 29 points? Well, <laughs> I would have said no. But – but and, and as Jeff has said, and I, I agree with him, but I don't know if it can get there this year. You're looking for consistent performances week in and week out, where you beat, you know, you beat Ohio State by 29, but then you don't go lose the way you did to Michi- at Michigan State, or then go to Minnesota. You know, you you come back and I, you know, I think they they beat Iowa after beating Michigan State, and then you go to Minnesota and just, you know look horrible hmm. you come back you play Wisconsin tough but you lose so he's looking for more consistency I don't know if you can get that this year because you are going to be playing a lot of young players a lot of first-time players and usually when you have that many freshmen playing or guys that haven't played you're going to have inconsistencies uh, and you don't have a lot of seniors that are going to play so there's some factors into it but um, it, it, you know, I'm pretty confident it will happen it just may not happen right now. And that, you know, I think most of the fan base kind of sees it, but there are, there's always some, and those are always the loudest that, that don't see it and don't, and don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I would set a, if I were putting a line on it, I'd put it at six and a half wins. And if you beat that, if you get the seven and they get in a bowl game and win that, all of a sudden you fit that eight win mark that's been really elusive for, I mean, when was the last time they won eight games? It would have had to have been sometime under. Joe Tiller. So you're talking about, um, you yeah, know, more than a decade ago. Yeah, more than a decade of football pass since they'd won eight games in a year, and it's hard to win eight games from a lot of programs. And but if you can get there, that, you know, I think that's when it really does seem tangible. So when I think this program, it, it'll be measured on wins. Don't get me wrong, uh, and the wins will lead to something else. But based on the current climate uh, of of college football. To me, this program is going to be based on how many times they are in contention for the Big Ten West title. And that's, I think, how this program needs to get measured. Uh, you win enough, you'll be in contention. I get that. But, I mean, how, how many games did Northwestern win last year going into the Big Ten title game? I mean, whether it was an eight, nine win team, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they after they beat Purdue in the first game, they went, what, on a three-game 
Yeah, they did losing not, streak. Yeah, 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 they lost to Akron and really fell apart. Uh, yeah, because there was that. Str- there was a point in the season where all the teams that had beaten Purdue that was their only win. Right, we're like four or five games <laughs> yeah. into the year. So, but I, I think that's how this program needs to get measured: is how many how many times in a in a decade span are you truly in contention for the Big Ten West, and how many times do you win it? You can't go over ten, but you need to you need to be in contention longer, and you might be in contention longer this year. And if that's the case, that's you know that's probably a a, a sign of a sign of progress because I, I don't see any of these programs in the West right now pulling away and becoming the super team of the West. And that's why I think I think this is going to be it's always going to be a situation where you know in the East if you lose a second game you've really blown your chance probably to compete for a, a divisional championship. Um, I could easily see two win teams coming out of the West on a fairly regular or two lost teams, I should say coming out of the West on a regular basis. Right. Um, and it, it's going to, there's going to maybe be some tiebreaker fun that happens in some of those situations because um, they're just, they do seem to be pretty closely stacked together. I don't see any of those teams really kind of running away and hiding from the rest of that group. Um, it's funny. I've been listening to um, my future coworker, Doug Maurice at cleveland.com and his trying to brush up on Ohio state stuff. He's got his own podcast. Um, Buckeye talk. If people want to listen to that, if they need to keep hearing me, stealing our audience, I'll be there in the future. You can listen to both. Uh, We'll be we'll do some maybe some cross. uh, cross, They don't play. We don't Purdue and Ohio State don't play each other this year. So that, but but eventually when that comes to comes down the line, we'll we'll be sure to revisit that. But um, he's I think he's getting kind of a a uh, reputation. Not a reputation, but he's seen as kind of a pessimist right now because he's predicting Ohio State will go nine and three, oh, and how that's like a sky is falling prediction for a team to only win nine games in the regular season this year. But that, that kind of shows how the, the the difference between fan bases. Where like over here, oh, we went seven and five, and we got a chance at eight in a bowl game, and over here it's like nine and three. Well, so long, Ryan Day. <laughs> well. It just depends where you, where, what neighborhood you live in nowadays. That's yeah. that's that's the big key. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's gonna probably wrap us up for uh, this edition of the Bowlers Extra Podcast. Your last appearance as a member of the Journal and Courier. We hope to have you on when Purdue plays Ohio State in a couple years, but. We have no idea if either one of us will be in, <laughs> in the same jobs. So, well, you never know. Yeah, but um, when it so when is it twenty twenty three that they come back to? It's either twenty two or twenty three. Yeah. So I think Purdue goes over to Ohio State. Yeah. They have the return trip there. And, uh, but anyway, uh, you've been a you've been a big proponent of this podcast. You've spearheaded a lot of initiatives to get this thing going, and so I appreciate that. You t- kind of taking the the leadership role in that and uh, basically telling management what they needed to hear to make sure that we could get <laughs> decent equipment and, uh, and, and get this thing going. So you've been, you've been a big driver of this and I, you know, I think uh, I hope people enjoy it and uh, you know, have an opportunity to, to listen to it and take something out of it. But uh, no, appreciate all your hard work with this, but also appreciate all your hard work. The last uh, fifteen or so years at the uh, here fourteen fourteen well maybe I'm fourteen trying, in two weeks as maybe, of today maybe I'm trying to keep you another year <laughs> um, but yeah no, you know appreciate everything that you've done since you started and um, you've done great work and wish you nothing but the best of luck going into your new job. Uh, covering Ohio State football for the Cleveland.com and Cleveland Plain Dealer. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of fun with the podcast. I have fond memories of, of sitting in the bed of the pickup after some of those football <laughs> games last year and or sitting at Steak and Shake. And I, I like that we got a little bit creative with it, and I think our audience was responding to that. And I hope those of you who are out there listening, um, you know, keep spreading the word if, if you're enjoying this podcast and, and letting other people know about it. And I hope you find someone else um, whether it's going to be you know I, I know Sam King will be around but uh, whatever happens um, with our with the staff here at the journal and career going forward I hope you find uh, someone else who wants to go um, mic up and, and have some of those those meals and and pickup truck podcasts and <laughs> I'll certainly be listening to them and and I hope there's you know maybe even some more innovation that can come down the line with with what we do here what you'll be doing here with, with boilers extra because um, people did seem to be resonating we heard from a lot of people um, that they were enjoying that waking up Sunday mornings or or getting that midweek hit and 
um, yeah, it, it's it's been fun, and I've I've enjoyed working with you. I've I've learned a lot um, about being a reporter, about you know uh, doing my job from from watching how you do yours. And there's a lot that I uh, still need to get better at. That are uh, things that you're very good at, and uh, your your diligence and your your work ethic. And um, I'm going to take a lot of that with me. And um, I learned a lot from a lot of people at the the JNC. I'll I'll write a whole weepy going away column here in a second uh, that people can read and I won't I won't bore you with it here but um, thanks everybody for listening and thanks to um, all of you who followed along here over the past 14 years yes again thank you for all you've done and uh, we'll be back again with uh, another edition of the or at least I'll be back another edition with the Boilers Extra podcast at uh, at some point as we get closer to uh, kicking off the season uh, at Nevada so thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time